check, 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 baby, check, baby, one, two. Here comes the rump shaker. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Cannabis Coffee Hour. I just took a shower. I'm feeling clean. I'm feeling mean. I feel like I'm living in a dream. Cause it's kind of crazy with all this corona. Um, yeah, man, the whole world's getting locked down. And, uh, I just had a little bit of an edible. And I'm drinking some, um, apple spice tea late in the afternoon. I'm quarantined up with the fam. I found a uh, little corner in my bedroom to record from. I'm actually recording from where I meditate. So I got this, like, meditate pad. I got a Buddha head with the snake fucking plant coming out of it. Um, I'm gonna, I drank a bunch of coffee today. And then I had some caramel popcorn. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm not going to eat this shit because popcorn gets in your teeth. Like the last time, I thought I like pulled out a cap the last time I ate some fucking popcorn. And I was like, I swore it off. I was like, I had to brush my teeth like three times. But this time I was like, oh, the caramel just tasted good. And it was like caramel mixed with like this cheddar popcorn. So it's like, I love a sweet and salty. You know, I love the, I love, I love juxtapositions, cannabis and coffee. Uh, we're having decaffeinated apple cinnamon tea, and I had a Tootsie Roll edible. <laughs> that was like, um, and it's perfect. I've been mo- mostly microdosing. Um, just little small things just to stay positive during the day. But I thought for the podcast, let's just eat the whole thing. So we'll see how this all comes together as one home. Um, but it's wild, man. The whole universe or the whole world is... But the only thing is, is like when you watch more of it, like, I'm in New York, man. I'm in Brooklyn. This shit's popping off big time. But I haven't, I didn't leave the house once or the, my apartment once yesterday. Today, it was really sunny out. So we went somewhere where um, there was nobody and it was outside and it was safe. And I definitely keep my distance. Like, I walk in the street. If I see some motherfucker walking down the street, I'm like, ah. Um, yeah, I'm not playing with it at all. But then I walk by this bar, and there's like five or six dudes. Some people are, you know, lonely out there. But, you know, and like I, I, I am worried, and I am stressed out, and I know it's escalating. But at the same time, you know, I, you know, the fear. I was listening to some, what was it? It was like, what was, what was my man? It wasn't Terrence McKenna. It was Ram Dass. It was Ram Dass. So I was listening. But something about fear, like when the snake, when the stick, when you think the stick is a snake. Well, this time, you know, the, the snake <laughs> the snake is around everywhere. Um, but we just got to ride it. It's literally day to day. Almost, and every day feels like a week to me in terms of the emotions and fucking one moment I think every, we're going to be on the street 
then the next moment I think it's all going to play out. And then the next moment it's like, I think I got the stuff. And then the next moment I'm like, ah, and then the next moment, the one thing I will say, I did watch a little bit of, uh, I have been catching up on TV, but I've been keeping up at night, but I like that because that's the only time I have the whole place to myself. Cause, uh, the whole fam's here is when is late night, but then I got to get up and like, we're going at it in the morning. Mm, that's cinnamon. I was reading something about cinnamon. Cinnamon is good for your... Um, cinnamon and ginger are both good antioxidants and bring up your immune system. I don't know by how much, but I do all that stuff. I, I take the liquid silver. I have been taking the liquid silver. I don't know if you know about that. Some people make it fun of it, so homopathy, but... My wife's friend was into it like a couple of years ago and she got us a bunch of bottles. And I always I always take it. I always got vitamin B laying around. I always pop that stuff. I've been drinking emergency every morning and then we got this big jar of vitamin C that I just pop during the day every few hours. And just trying to stay low key and wash the hands and but I have been play, I have been playing guitar. You can check out my Instagram rob88 cantrell and uh you'll see me playing pink floyd mother do you think they'll drop the bomb uh playing a little pink floyd that's the one song i have learned it's only two chords but then the change up there is a change up like it's mostly two chords but then there's like a little complex change up pink floyd's a wild fucking band man uh i know that's a kind of a basic statement to say but the in categorizing Pink Floyd, it's like this super art band and super... I think they were like the radio head of their day, you know? Kind of artsy, kind of lofty, kind of metaphysical, kind of trippy. Uh, Radiohead isn't as trippy. I think Radiohead has more stonery, but they, they like Pink Floyd is definitely like a super acid band. But so was the Grateful Dead. Um... Listen to a lot of Pink Floyd. Not a lot of Pink Floyd. Listen to Grateful Dead. What have I been... I know I've been... I was obsessed with Humble Pie. <laughs> I don't know. I just go down these wormholes. There's like... Like three years ago, there, there's like the band The Bronx, which is uh, a band from California, which is the oddest thing. But they had that band El Matriachi. Oh, you know what I'm saying. Um, they had that band. But then the, their punk rock band, just the straight up... Like I got into them for like a few months. I still am, but there was like times where I would just listen. I just like get obsessed with songs and I'll just listen to them over and over and over again. Um, but I have been getting uh, a good regimen of, but nothing perfect. Like I'm trying not to like grasp onto perfect, but I'm also trying to stay in practice. Like last night, I did 50 push-ups and then another 50 to make the 100, whereas I usually split it up to four 25s, but then it was like right before I went to bed, but it was so, I mean, I was sweating, I had to take my sweatshirt off, and I was like, oh man, but I but I did it, and then I meditated, Um, I will say it's a little bit harder to meditate, I don't know, it's kind of easier and harder to meditate <laughs> when you're on an edible um because your thoughts are so lucid anyway 
Like, you can go in there. You could almost, like, what was that thing? Like, kind of, like, if you meditate and look inward far enough, like, you could reach. You can go to other places. And I used to do that as a kid. I remember I was so active as a kid. I was a spaz, man. Um, I fell out of a moving car when I was five. I wrecked my bike and almost cut off my dick when I was, like, seven. I was a mess, man. Not a mess. I was just, you know, it was the 70s and nobody was watching out. I mean, my mom did her best, but I was the youngest out of three. And I was definitely, I wasn't a handful. I was a sweet kid. That was the one thing my mom said. It was, I was nice. Um, But when I was at school, I would fuck off. (laughs) I definitely was uh, the back of the classroom goofball type of kid, but I don't know. I got through it. And I would, I would, I always keep it together just enough to keep it together, you know, um, and I think lately I've been really good about, like, not comparing myself to anybody, not, with comedy and showbiz, it's such an ego trip and such a, but I I think I really got a handle on, social media fucks with me, but I, I did hit up Twitter a couple times today, I'm trying to write more on Twitter, because it is kind of a good writing tool, but if you get attached to like the likes and everything, I just need to I need to have a, a certain sense of what's that word I'm looking for? Indifference towards everything. <laughs> uh, stoicism. That's what I was watching some videos on stoicism, which is a philosophy, a Greek philosophy of just having a certain level of indifference, whether things are going bad or going good, and just not attaching yourself emotionally. I think that's a lot about growing up and being a man or being a woman or just being an adult. But I do like to get hyped on shit. Like, yeah, all of this stuff, like, can't, like, live and die by everything. You can only just take what you can do and just kind of move forward at it. Um, But doing these late night uh, hangs by myself, I've been, like, the... This guy gave me just a lot of, like, micro-edibles that I've been keeping by myself, but not a ton. But it comes it comes in handy at night because I'll watch Netflix. And um, I'll tell you what, guy. I, I mean, everybody's talking about the Tiger King. The Tiger King? Tiger King. And I watched the first episode, and it was good, but it also bummed me out that I was getting obsessed with these dudes and they kind of bummed me out that they had all those tigers. I don't know if you know about this. It's like these B-rate, like, borderline illegal zoos in these weird states that don't have hardcore laws and people pulling up exotic or buying exotic animals off the internet or whatever or, or uh, you know, on the black market buying like snow leopards and tigers and fucking monkeys and shit and having these back country ass zoos and they're making money off of it but um like the treatment of the animals and how they're grown and this dude was like breeding uh tigers and lions and shit but like in florida and the whole staff was looked kind of methed out and weird um but you can't even judge that. <laughs> but it, I was ended up judging them. But then I was like, ah, oh, fuck this. 
I'll, I'll probably watch the rest of it, and it, it, there is some fascinating points to it. Um, the dude had 200 fucking tigers, and to feed them, it was like over like three quarters of a million dollars to feed these tigers, and he was feeding them roadkill, like he was feeding them good meat, but then he had a deal with like the highway patrol or under the sanitation, like whenever they picked up carcasses, he would get like the fucking uh, roadkill and feed it to the tigers, which is, I guess, one way of biodegrading it. Um, but um, the whole thing seems super sketch. But then I flipped over and I was like, I watched the ZZ Top documentary. Now that is some rock and roll right there. I really, it made me want to like play the guitar more. Um, the guitar is such a funky, fun instrument. And it's all just not, I don't know, there's something really just kind of regular, but you could figure it out, but it takes years. I don't know, a lot like anything that's worthwhile, you know, whether it's skiing looks easy, but you know, it will take you a, a minute to figure out skiing if you don't know how to ski. Um, same thing with playing guitar, you know, but some people's learning curves are different than others. No matter, it just matters what, you know, the gig is. But uh, I definitely highly re recommend the ZZ Top. And what they were, and like, they're such a classic band and they're kind of goofball-y, but they got this like cool blues style. But he, what he was saying was like, they don't play the Duke blues. They play their rendition or their tribute to the blues. Like, you know, they don't say that they're Muddy Waters or, you know, those that all came from the 40s and the 50s. And, you know, they the Rolling Stones was fans of all that. But you can't say the Rolling Stones is like a blues band. They didn't play in those blues joints. And they didn't record those, like, you know, just raw emotional records. Um, but they learned from them and kind of evolved whatever they did from that. <laughs> Which I thought was dope. Like, uh... You know, they they had their own, ZZ Top had their own sound, and a lot of it, they're a power trio. And the dude, the the guitarist toured with Hendrix's, he toured as an opening band for like a year with Hendrix, and he also did some gigs with The Doors and new Jim Morrison. Didn't know him, but opened for him, like back in the day. That guy's still playing gigs today. I just think, you know, that is really the last of the Mohicans. Um, I was watching... You know, that whole psychedelic rock thing, like the doors were a part of it. Like it was before kind of cocaine came and took over with synthesizers of the 80s. But, you know, they were definitely playing with consciousness. And I think Grateful Dead and the doors. Um, but I wouldn't say ZZ Top is psychedelic. I think it's just, you know, opening the doors of consciousness enough to find your own groove so you don't settle in somebody else's concept. I've been thinking a lot about conceptual thinking. And the minute you put a name to something, the minute you put, a, you put an ego onto it, the minute you even, you know, you really got to, the more you can live in the moment, man, the more you can have indifference to it all, the easier it is to move forward. And the, the easier it is to be yourself. You know, if you're putting some airs, like you think somebody's going to be like that. So you're like, 
oh, this guy's like that. I'm going to play the tough guy. I'm going to be kind of goonish. Or maybe you want to, or I'm going to be more like, <laughs> I'm going to be more feminine. I don't know. But, you know, you, you're you playing to whoever's ego. But the, the key is, you know, if you're yourself and you have indifference and you have nothing to gain from anybody and if you can just move forward and you know kind of kind of play out whatever blueprint is you know stuck in your chest yo try not to fall off a cliff until you have a few sundays uh, i think that's what we're trying to all try to do when i mean sundays i mean a good banana split with like chocolate sauce and fucking like three different ice creams and i love going all out um, a good Sunday, <laughs> just an ice cream bomb of that whipped cream, nuts, cherries, chocolate sauce. Love all that shit, man. Uh, but yeah, that's a sick documentary. I, I haven't finished it, but it shows them at a really young age and how. And then he was just saying when the base, the basis in in ZZ Top and the drummer like when they got their groove together it was just like dude they just knew it everybody knew it and uh they never seemed to complain and they just put out you know whatever they got to put out but the, a lot of it was their manager who had been a musician in the 50s and had success but was also business minded so uh, you know all of it in show business, it, 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 you know, I always say, like, fuck a manager, or you don't need any of that. But, I, yeah, I have one right now, and, and she's great. Um, but I did, for a good 10 years, not work with management. And just, you know, find my own gigs. And it worked out. Um, but it definitely helps when you kind of move up the ranks and do more legit gigs, like somebody negotiating, or even just having another pair of eyes. But, you know, you always got to be tricky with, you know, because everybody has their own, like, little agenda. But I think if you keep it simple and try to move forward. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Brian Dilworth from Philadelphia, who was a promoter and music manager. He managed a, a friend of mine's band, Lion Eyes. Shout-out to Lion Eyes, uh, and Nate Bergman, um, great guitarist, great vocalist, but he was a promoter and a booker, and he just passed away at age 51, and that bummed me out, because I'm up there, too, and it's just like, I, and he has a teenage kid, and I met the kid when the kid was like five and shit, so it just like, it hit me hard, so rest in peace, Brian Dilworth, you, were, you are an awesome spirit and soul, this dude was a promoter, and he actually... The first time I met him, he booked Mitch Hedberg at the Tower Theater. He was the one responsible, like the local promoter. And that was a huge gig, man. It was sold out. And I opened, and this was 2003. And I had a really killer set that night. I remember it was Stephen Lynch, Mitch Hedberg, 2003 I was like four years into stand-up comedy I just got off last comic standing and then this guy that used to book this one comedy club was starting to book for Live Nation and they were putting together a theater tour and I knew they were looking for opening acts and I knew Mitch and 
um, I put into open form and I ended up getting like 12 dates opening for Hedberg at these theaters. And one of them was the most, one of the most epic ones was the Tower Theater. And uh, yeah, the, the band, the Strokes were backstage. It was sold out. I will say this, like, Hedberg was amazing, amazing joke writer, amazing comedian, awesome dude. But yeah, he was strung out on smack, and and I never fucked with hard drugs or coke. The the one time he offered, that was the thing I always talk about is like the one time I I turned down coke was with Hedberg, and sometimes I wish I did just because he passed so early, and I would have had a night of talking with him. But we had plenty of other afternoons of talking and hanging because we drove actually from that gig from Rhode Island. Like, there was no, it was this, we did Rhode Island, like, it was booked all weird, and then there was no, like, there was no flights, or there was something going on in Rhode Island that we had to rent, like, a limo. Like, Mitch rented a limo, and we had this weird, like, cheesy limo driver that was super sketch. But it was a stretch limo. It was me, Lynn, Sean, Shaw, Lynn Shawcroft, and Mitch Hedberg in a limo. And we went from Rhode Island to Philadelphia. But we made it like we were running late as hell. And I remember hitting all this traffic and being stressed out. And I remember, and it was before like iPhones. So you had to get, I had to get on the internet and book a hotel myself. Um, because as the opener, I, they didn't have a lot of those like big theater tours, you know, once you get to that level, you know, they're not really getting the hotels for you or somebody else's, but as an opener, I'm just getting like a few hundred dollars. I mean, they were pretty good gigs for me. It was like every night, a few hundred dollars and they were huge crowds, but specifically the tower theater where I met Brian Dilworth was an epic gig and I will say my friend Gina Crawford this girl that was uh working on audio design going to school here in Manhattan hooked me up with this brick of hash I had this like it remember I've never had hash this good before again I mean yeah, people have oil and stuff. This was back in the old school days where people got hash, hash. But this hash, I don't know. She had like this Middle Eastern, I don't know. It, I think it came from the Middle East. I don't know what it was, man. But it came in this tin foil, and it was, but it was done really well. It was like clean. It looked almost like a candy bar, but it was like this chocolate. It's like this brown chocolate with red hairs all in it. And I had it, and it was like the cleanest and greatest and then I also had this, I remember I had this glass bong that I bought in the village. And I would travel up and down the East Coast. And it was in my, uh, it was in my little like bath dop kit. But it was only like a little small one. But I would pack this thing with like red haired super hash. And uh, this, I was, you know, this was 2003 before marriage, before kids. I just got off last comic standing. I came up. Um, in San Francisco doing stand-up comedy. So I was ripping bowls. And that's how I got, you know, that's how I got through open mics and shit. It was just uh, a lot of, you know, because you had to wait the whole time. I came up the hard way. Like, I took no shortcuts. Um, I came up through nasty open mics and weird rooms. And all throughout Oakland, I did all the hood rooms in Oakland. I did all the 
um, gay rooms in San Francisco. I mean, there used to be, like, in the Castro, like, there would be these crowds of all, like, at gay bars. But those were awesome gigs. You go, they would actually pay. Um, and then I would do this, you know, San Francisco was just had such a diverse comedy scene back then that I just learned the ropes. But um, I just had this, oh, I was just saying that, so I was I was just wide open. So I was ripping huge bong hits of this hash before I would go on. <laughs> and this one time I know, like, and Mitch was like, but Mitch never, you know, Mitch had his shit together before shows sometimes, but he was a drinker. But I remember I ripped some of these bong hits and I was like, man, I think I'm higher than Hedberg right now. Because <laughs> I went out to that crowd and the crowd was awesome and he had such a great fucking they were listeners you know he was such a great prolific joke writer and i had just a good set and uh, i remember the guys from the strokes came down they took the amtrak from new york to philly just to see this show and hang out with mitch and i think mitch didn't really ha- i hung out with them a little bit or no the, i think i was supposed to go hang with them and then I think Mitch may have ducked out and went and got smack. I don't know what. I remember we were at the gig. We were going, but we were in two different hotels. And I think, yeah, that was the thing. We were in two different hotels. And I think he hung out with the Strokes that night. And I think I just was in a car with him for like 21 hours. So it was like um, after the gig, like I think I think I made the call just to crash out and at my own. Because you know what? I had a... I, I splurged because there was no rooms, and I had a room at the Westin. I don't know if you've ever had a room at the Westin, but the Westin, if you ever get a chance, stay out of West. I mean, they're a little bit pricier, but their beds are amazing. They got fucking great beds. Um, so I was psyched about sleeping because we were just in this car and late and stressed, and the show was awesome, but I was just like, I was, and then, you know, big bong hits of hash. Um, I, so I was just blurry. Um, but I remember, so that was, but Brian Dilworth, I met the promoter and he really liked me. And then he sent me an email saying how much he liked my act. And then I, we got to talking and he wanted to book more comedy and he put me on a show. He produced it. We tried to do these 420 shows with high times, but that didn't work out. But then I ended up doing a show with... It was me, all three of us, like, triple headlining. It was me, um, Mike Berbiglia, and Eugene Merman at the Theater of Living Arts. And this was booked by Brian Dilworth. And I did radio for it, I remember coming in. And it was, like, at a rock theater. And uh, we pulled it off. It was, you know, we sold... I don't think we sold it out. This was before those guys were super huge. But uh, we sold some tickets, and it ended up being great. And then he booked me on two more shows with Michael Ian Black. I did the Paradise Theater, in uh, which was Paradise Rock Club, which is in Boston. But I remember that was a banger. Like, I had a great set there and had a lot of fun. And then I did Philly. And I didn't have a, the last set, Brian saw me. I remember, like, I don't know, I had, there, that set went weird, and the crowd was odd. It was like alternative Philly people, which is a odd vibe sometimes. Um, but some crowds are awesome, but that crowd, 
was not that awesome. But then I ended up going out to the beach with Brian. He invited my wife and I, before my wife and I had kids. And we were with his wife and I. And, we, and he had a beach house out in Delaware. And we stayed like, I stayed overnight with him. And then we, then we drove back to, or we took the train back to New York after that. But he passed away. He had a heart attack a few weeks ago. And I just wanted to say, man, but that guy was so nice. And I ended up running into him later on. We, I, we actually ate at a vegetarian Italian place in the Lower East Side. Because my friend who played in that band, I went by, I was doing a show and then I went by his show. And then I ran into Brian and Brian was like, I manage these guys now. I was like, holy shit. And I always liked Brian. Um, and he always looked out for me. We just didn't, I don't know, it just didn't super click. Like, I think there may have been a point where he might have talked about managing me, or I don't know what the deal was. He just, he worked with bands, and he was like the house booker of these rock clubs. And But he's worked with all kinds, like the whole steady, like anybody that came through Philly, you know, Brian Dilworth uh, wrote a check, or worked with, or worked on a show, or, you know, he was just one of those guys in the music industry or the booking industry, but an awesome dude, awesome, selfless, cool dude. Um, I'm getting like these alerts on my phone. Like us has got so many cases, um, of this funk, this funk, the Corones. So I just wanted to say that to, about Brian, but, uh, but that one of the funnest gigs I did was, was with Hedberg at the Tower Theater. I just remember that crowd just being fucking on. And uh, I just had, I just remember it just being so much fun. Um, even uh, the Tracy Morgan's shows are fun. But this was like some rock star underground shit. Um, it was some 2003, 2004, kind of before comedy became, you know, super Netflixed out. Um, but, uh, what else? I've been, the tea just went down really quick. I just, no, I got some more. I got some more cinnamon tea. Um, and I got a big pound of Costa Rica, um, coffee. I haven't ever been to Costa Rica. I would like to go. I know... It's dope. But I know there's good places and bad places and new places and sketchy places. So you got to eyeball it. And I haven't had the time to pull that off yet. But I will soon. Hopefully. That's just one some, some place I would like to go. Um, right now, yeah, all the gigs in comedy like uh, are getting shut down. Like even the I did, I think I said it last week, but I did... Like, one of the last nights, like, I remember feeling weird going out, and I actually asked for more money just to get out of the house. But I was like, oh, this is the last one. But there was only, like, ten people at the show. It was a small show, and it was, like, the Friday night, like, then the Saturday. I think this may have been two weeks ago. And that was like, oh, fuck this. Like, everybody was like, my wife was like, don't go out, wash your hands, all that shit. And that's what we've just been on, trying to slow the curb. Um, but, you know, it has been, like, the fear's there and the germs are real. It's just like we've never been through a pandemic before, you know? Our society, at least in our la lifetime, it hasn't happened since, you know, 1901. 
Uh, here's something. Space permeates everything. This is from the pocket. This is some Buddhist shit. The small book that I got from Mike Kaplan. But I always like this thing. Like, space permeates everything. Things happen to all of us all the time that open up the space. Spaciousness, this wide open, unbiased, unprejudiced space is in inexpressibly and fundamentally good and sound. It's almost like opening. Like when I meditate, I think of it like an open field or a clean room, just an empty room, that space, that nothingness. Because that's what we come from, is nothing. It, but part of it, like if there was never nothing, there wouldn't be something, and now we're something. I don't know. Um, whenever you're in a hot spot or feeling uncomfortable, whenever you're caught up and don't know what to do, you could find some place where you can go and look at the sky and experience some freshness, free of hope and fear, free of bias and prejudice, just completely open. And this is accessible to us all the time. Space permeates everything, one every moment of our lives. Yo, space is the place. Uh, I've been going into inner space. I mean, I'm meditating, like, it's almost like the darkness. Like, um, there is comfort, like, in the darkness. Like, when I meditate, like, it's just beyond, like, the beyond all the lights and circuits that is consciousness, there's something inside, like, if I can just quiet myself. And it almost feels like, yeah, like it's outer space. Like I'm, like I'm, you know, there's no, what is it, gravity? No, you know, every, all the rules are off. And I remember as a kid, I would do that to go to bed. And I remember my brain just being so fucking imaginative that I would act like I'm in a spaceship when I would go to bed. My mom and dad would put me to bed and I would just be laying there in the dark, but I would go five, four, three, and I would do like the little things on the, and I would do everything. Like I was, I think I watched Star Wars and everything. I remember those lights and, but I, if I, if I closed my, I remember feeling like I was flying. I remember feeling like I was literally, and I, you know, that's imagination, but your brain doesn't know the difference. That's what they say about mantras. Like, your brain doesn't know the difference between your thoughts and reality. So, you know, it's like watching a scary movie and you can get scared because your brain doesn't, like, I don't know. There's a part of your brain that doesn't know. You know, you know that this shit, this guy getting hacked up on the screen or whatever fucking savage bullshit you're watching, some horror shit, some um, Jason Freddy Cougar type shit, where it's pretty much just, it's wild what we watch, man. That's what, I mean, that's why I like music documentaries, because there's nothing really violent about it, and it's real stories, and it's real cats doing you know, just putting their shit out there, trying to make it pop. I always love those behind the musics. But I would say the uh, Netflix has so money, like how this new ZZ Top documentary is shot. Like they, you know, their whole thing was these classic cars and like 
legs video and it had this 80s muscle car type vibe to it man they had their own thing man they really did and it was cool and it was uh different than everybody else's um but i would say how good it's done how well it's done like the cameras and the shots because they have them in a like studio and they have them at their in nashville and they're actually playing like these old grooves and they're all like these like sick blues riffs and you're like oh wow and they're actually playing the cameras great the sounds great because you know whatever production company netflix hired to rock it out did it fucking right and it just sounds ill uh, a little old band from texas is what it's called and it's fucking amazing Oh, I haven't finished it. I watched like 40 minutes of it. And it was like 1.30 and I got to get up in the morning. And the only thing about the edibles is like getting up in the morning is a little rough. But you know how much coffee I drink. I just pound a bunch of coffee. And um, I drink emergency. And, and I'm up and out and ready to rock and roll. Um, it makes me want... I'll, maybe I'll play a little bit. I need to work on my guitar. Uh... It's so much fun, but it's discipline. My feet, my hands start to hurt and I'm not doing it for money. It's like a pure. And then I got this other writing gigs and writing and uh, doing stand up comedy. I got to, you know, I haven't done a special special. I've released two albums stand up wise. And then I did a documentary of my own. In like 2000, yeah, early 2003, I printed up like 3,000 DVDs and I sold them on the road. And uh, it worked out back when <laughs> DVDs worked out. Uh, but it was fun. I look at it now, it's, I, don't, I haven't put it on the internet. I mean, I was pretty rough. And the thing compared to nowadays, you know, with so much uh, access to cameras and, you know, I get lost in YouTube. Some of the shit I start watching is just like, and some of them are these... Uh, podcasts but check out my podcast this the cannabis coffee hour podcast because i've been just mostly doing visuals like i've been there was this one station we got the ruku tv that's just dolby it's called the dolby station and it's just like literally just like high-end stock footage and i was watching that like it's like nebulae and like waves i do love surf videos like i don't surf well i have surfed but uh, there's something about just, not all of them, like when they're cut, but I like watching the wave itself move. And they're on the Dolby station, on the Ruku, there was like this surf thing. And I remember just looking at the waves and just like, man, um, just how it's shot. The cameras are so good now. It's so clean. And, and you almost feels like you're swimming out there in that water. Um. Mm. Uh, I ate regular hot dogs last night. I had two regular hot dogs with a bunch of onions. And man, were they delicious. But they did not sit right. <laughs> they did not sit right. I've been going a few... Tonight I'm doing veggie tacos. I got a bunch of rice and beans left over. But I got some good hot sauce and I got a sick avocado. And I got some hard taco shells like the classics. Um, that you get in the kit, but I stuffed the rice and beans that I make, and it was good rice and beans, like good rice and good black beans mixed, and I had some fresh cilantro, and I chopped it up, I hooked it up in there, I got this great 
gingers, not ginger, um, garlic salt, but like the, some really good garlic salt. Um, and I hooked, I hit that with that. And so I'm really looking forward to mowing down these veggie tacos that I'm going to make myself. You know, I don't want to be a veggie. I don't want to, I never want to call anything, anything conceptual thinking, but it's nice to not have meat, but it was also nice to have those hot dogs. <laughs> I mean, they, they, but most of it, it's like the ketchup and mustard and all that, that I enjoy with the onions. And then some of the meat, I guess. They have the papaya dogs, which are so delicious here in New York. And they're on like every corner. But right when I moved here, like I would eat them all the time. But there was a couple times I ate them. And then I was like on the subway and I literally was having like serious chest pains. I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know what kind of fucking meats in these fucking super dogs. So I haven't hit those. But it's mostly like I like the mixture of the ketchup and the mustard and the bread and whatever like relish or onions when it all goos up and gunks up. I like that. It's almost like I can make a soup of that shit and then, you know, eat a turkey dog or a tofu dog. Um, big fan of corn dogs. Corn dogs, you get the, get the, it's all there. It's all on the stick. It's like a pops, it's a popsicle hot dog. <laughs> like a healthy vegan corn dog. That's a good look. Because um, growing up, I used to eat SpaghettiOs and corn dogs. Like those were my meals that my mom would eat that I, I remember going home for a while for lunch. Like you could leave actual school and go home. Like I could walk home and my, and my mom wasn't there, but there would be packs. And my dad was, I guess I had the place to myself. I can't believe I didn't raise that much hell, but I didn't. I just went and would eat two fucking corn dogs for like an hour and then rush back to school. Um, but I used to eat these corn dogs that you would put in the microwave. And I would eat two of them and then hit them with the French mustard. French is super yellow with some super ketchup. And knock it out that way. Oh. I powered through all my CBD flour. So now I just have some edibles. that, And I, I don't know. I'm not really looking to re-up until the Corones goes down a little bit. And hopefully it will. Um... But I have been meditating has been, you know, getting better. Been doing my push-ups. I'm almost, I think I might cancel my gym. I know it's all about my gym, but uh, I can't go to it. Um, but it's not that expensive. And I just want the elliptical because I can't, and the apartment's too small to have elliptical up in here. Um, so I like just running down there for the elliptical, but... I have to pay this, I don't know when we're going to get out of this funk. Like, sometimes I'm like, oh, this is going to be over in a couple weeks or next week. And then other times I'm like, oh, shit, this could go down till July, August. Who fucking knows? Um, but who knows? That's the gig, man. You just got to be lucky in every moment. You know, that beginner's mind. That's something I've been getting into is like waking up. But then you get curveballs, like, serious curveballs have been coming. But I've been holding on to indifference and just, like, powering through and working through it. So it hasn't been all that. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to these veggie tacos. 
um, check out the new ZZ Top um, documentary on Netflix. It's it's fucking sick. I love it. Um, yeah, that's the only thing. I think Tiger King is good. I'm going to probably watch it. But it's a little depressing, just like, I don't know, man. These, yeah, I kind of see something going down in it. But I guess that's the fun of it all. Um, but I don't like... Like, the th- some of the things, I don't like gossip. I don't like, t- you know, I just don't... I don't know. It's not that it's gossipy. It almost feels to me, Tiger King, almost... F- it, it has that same thing when you're, you used to watch Jerry Springer. You know, kind of those, like, cheesy talk shows where they just set the worst of the worst people on camera and just let let the fireworks... Sometimes it's the best television, you know? Um, yeah, that Lao Tzu philosopher, I was he- hearing him talk about art. And the best art is, like, in the worst place. Sometimes the best art is, like, the lowest fucking shit. Because, you know, I remember when Dr. Dre and N.W.A., then when that stuff came out... Those cassettes, those records, I remember the first time I saw the Easy e and that was on a cassette. I remember that was back when tapes. And my friend was into hip-hop, and he passed me the Easy e tape, and it just didn't sound like anything else, and it was all dirty and cussing, and nobody was doing that. And I remember... You know, it probably was frowned upon and looked like some type of weird novelty record back then. And now it's like there's movies, like the Dre movie and the Dre speakers, and like they're considered like these huge people in music, which they belong and which they are. But it's like the best art is sometimes in the worst weird. That's why I like, you know, I like fucking with non perfection, you know. But you also got to do the gig. You got to do the dance and try to make the magic. But but making the magic is not trying to be the magic. It's just doing the magic. I haven't taken a shit in a day. <laughs> uh, yeah, bowel movements are serious. I like having one a day. Sometimes when I start going to two a day, that's one is perfect. But when I start skipping... Because this corona's got everybody all fucked up. I think it's... When I'm going through these type of times, like, I stop, like, every other day. And then I'm like, oh, if I don't... If I go two days, then, you know, you can cramp up and your whole system's down. I don't know. Uh, Don't cramp up. Eat fruit. Eat some... uh, What fruit have I been getting with it? I've been chomping some apples. We got a big bag of oranges. You know, just... Fucking tons of vitamin C for the Corones. Uh, and staying away and holding up. I hope you're all holding up. I love you. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Like and subscribe. Review this podcast. Go on to iTunes right now and put a review. Go to, uh, even if it's bad, I want to hear it. I want to know what's going on or reach out to me at contact at Rob Cantrell. I need feedback for this podcast and how it's going. We're up to, uh, this might be the 69th episode. 69 is a trippy word, man. It's sexually wild, but it's also the yin and yang. And it's also like, you know, what if a six is a nine and nine's a six and they really are, but then you flip it, you know, it's kind of like the duality of all. Um, 
And with that, I'm going to say goodbye. But I had a great time with you. And I appreciate you. And stay dope. Thanks for listening.